Um, as you're doing that, though, I want to uh, uh, pray, if that's okay. I, my news feed has been filled both yesterday and today of the terrorist attacks in, in England, and I think it's just good to kind of pause and pray for them. Uh, Father, uh, we, just, we just ask for your comfort, your peace to come upon uh, that nation over there. It's hurting right now. Uh, and especially, of course, the families who are impacted um, from the loss of a loved one or injured. Um, Lord, we, we, we pray for your comfort, for your peace, but we also pray for your grace and your light to pour in there. Where there is uh, evil and darkness, really, uh, that your, your light, your message of love and the salvation of life eternal in Jesus' name would pour into there. Uh, Lord, would you use even this, this hard uh, series of events, really, it's not just, just the, the last few days, but series of events they're facing over there to, to just pour in your gospel, that people would receive Jesus and have the eternal life in him. Uh, we ask that as your church, in Jesus' name. But I also want to pray now, Father, that you'd give us your spirit here and now. Would you help us to understand what you'd have us to learn from this text? Um, we, just, we just long to be touched uh, by your spirit this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so yeah, we're looking, we're, we're continuing our series uh, through the Old Testament, just kind of doing a high-level survey. These ancient, ancient texts, we just made our way through the book of Genesis. Now we're starting Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. One God, one story. And really, we have two goals as we're doing this. Uh, one is to see how these texts, how these stories and characters all point to Jesus, because on the road to Emmaus, after he was traveling after his resurrection, uh, he said, it all points to me, starting with Moses and all the prophets. Well, today we're looking at Moses' life specifically. It all points to me. So we're going to look at how the ancient text points to Jesus, but then also consider how it's relevant for our lives today, which I, I love that. A lot of people look at this Old Testament scripture written hundreds of years before Jesus even came on the scene, which is 2,000 years ago. How can this old, old text be relevant to our lives? And boy, I, I feel like I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but the more I read these texts, the more I see myself in them. And so I'm looking forward to uh, going through this story with you, uh, with Moses and the Red Sea. Here's what I love about the Old Testament. Uh, the New Testament, now this is an oversimplification, but it seems like the New Testament, life of Jesus and just after the forming of the church, is, is more of a snapshot of encounters with God and faith in Him. I mean, the, the, the blind see when they come to Jesus, the, the lame walk, it's kind of a snapshot. This beautiful thing often happens, but what happens afterwards? Or what happened leading up to that? Whereas the, te the, the Old Testament, it seems to me, is more like a full-length motion picture. Actually, even better, it's probably like a TV series with many seasons. Uh, and as such, it's so helpful because there's all these lessons on endurance, on perseverance in the faith. Because if you're a woman or man of the faith, or you've observed a person of the faith, you know that it's not all smooth sails. It's not all easygoing. And so these stories are incredibly helpful in that regard. Last week, we looked at Joseph and his life spanning from really his childhood all the way to his death. And we talked about him being a model for the what ifs in our life. Or excuse me, if only is how we said it. If only, fill in the blank, then my life would be okay. Then everything would work out fine. That was last week. This week, we're looking at Moses, the people of God, and the famous parting of the Red Sea story to consider Facing the impossible with God. And I think this is just so helpful because we all face the impossible. We all face impossible situations. I know many of you are facing uh, what seem to be impossible situations right now in your life. And if you're not there now, just give it some time. We'll all get there. Relationally, 
physically, in our career, trying to make out, you know, what to do with life. We all face impossible situations. And what we see in this text, I believe, is God helping us, equipping us to face the impossible with that relationship, with that person, with that situation. God is, is, is able to help us through. And, in the, uh, and if you're not a follower of Christ, uh, here we see an invitation to follow him and in that receive someone and the help to help you get through any impossible situation. So how we're going to kind of look at this in terms of an outline to kind of hang our thoughts on, uh, what we see here are, is, is the, the plan behind this impossible situation that the Israelites find themselves in, uh, the purpose for this impossible situation, and then finally we're going to see the power to, that, w- that this gives us to face any impossible uh, situation. So the plan, the purpose, and, and the power in impossible situations. Um, but first, let's catch ourselves up to speed. So last week, rem- remember, we were looking at the, at the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and Joseph's life. And if you, if you remember, if you were here last week, we, it ended with Joseph dying, and all the people of God had ended up, Abraham's descendants had all ended up down in the land of Egypt. Remember, uh, you know, his brothers sold him into slavery, and it was really hard for Joseph's life. But at the end of it, God not only restored him and helped him, you know, understand the meaning of his life, but really, he, he, God equipped him to help God's people. And so all of God's people are down in Egypt. And where we pick up in Exodus 1 is after a number of pharaohs, kings of Egypt, uh, rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall. Uh, the, the Israelites are multiplying like crazy, like wabbits. They're just multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. And a new pharaoh who it says knew not Joseph rises to power and he sees a problem. He's like, uh-oh, if one of our enemies attacks us, and these guys join that enemy together in attacking us, we're going to be in trouble. And so he decides to enslave the Israelites. And so the Israelites are enslaved. And what we see in Exodus chapters 1 through all the way up to where we're looking at here, just, just before in chapters 13, is God raising up Moses, the, the mighty prophet, the mighty leader, to deliver God's people uh, from Egypt and ultimately lead them into the promised land. And how that happens, just real quickly, is... He sends Moses to Pharaoh, and it says, you know, Charles Heston-like, you know, let my people go, that kind of deal. And uh, Pharaoh says, yeah, no, I like my slaves. Um, and so, uh, so what God does is he, he, he performs all these signs and, and wonders through Moses, actually plagues. And there's a bit of a dance with Pharaoh and Moses. One plague comes, and, Moses, and the Pharaoh's like, okay, you can go. No, just kidding, stay here. And after a number of plagues, all increasing in intensity, finally God sends actually the angel of the Lord to kill the firstborn uh, male child of each Egyptian family. And finally, finally, Pharaoh relents and says, just get out of here. Get out of here. And so what we see at the very end of, of, of Exodus 13 and now in the text today is the exodus. Literally, mass departure. These guys have set out into the wilderness and right away, not just a, but a few days, they find themselves into an impossible situation. So here's the plan behind it as we, as we, look, at this, as we look at this text. Verses 1 through 4. Um, you know, I realize I didn't read the scripture, but we'll, we'll get through it. Um, we'll, we'll work our way through it. Uh, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hariath, between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Excuse me, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. 
okay? So they are brought to this place where we actually don't have a, a, a great consensus on the exact location. The only spot in the, the weird names that I just uh, tried to pronounce for you uh, that we have uh, a little bit of certainty on is Pi Hariath. It's this is one spot near the Red Sea. Other than that, we don't know exactly along the Red Sea they were, but suffice to say, anywhere they were along the Red Sea, geographically, geographically speaking, and in terms of the text, verse 3, they all say they would have been hemmed in, behind and before. They were completely surrounded. They were in a cul-de-sac. So to the north would have been almost certainly uh, Egyptian strongholds, and uh, we know without a doubt there were warring nations up there. I'll reference them in a second. Uh, the Philistines were up there, and the Philistines just gotten war with anything that moved, anything that breathed. Uh, to the south was the Egyptian barren desert. Couldn't go that way. To the east, of course, is the Red Sea, and it was too deep for people to cross, let alone, by the way, there's two million of them. Uh, so there's no way to go that way. And then now, coming from the west, with their backs up against the Red Sea, dust starts to come up. The sound of hoofs and chariots and probably a lot of yelling they have the Egyptian army, probably the mightiest on the planet, with chariots, which at that time is, think, you know, best state-of-the-art military, and they smell blood in the water. They want their slaves back, and they're ticked off. Imagine if you were the Israelites in that moment. Your blood pressure would just go through the roof. Two million of you out there with everything you had, so exposed, completely hemmed in, nowhere to go, you had everything of value on your possession, including kids. What are you going to do? Just, and it's not like these guys living in slavery have been like working on their battle skills, their formations and all that. I mean, these guys were, were dead to right if something didn't happen. Okay, so militarily, they're messed up. Here's what I want us to notice. Look at what I just read. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Israelites to turn back in the camp over here. I have a very specific place I want to put them. Moses, says the Lord, you guys are starting to go over there. No, 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 let's put you right into this spot. In other words, it's the Lord who set them up. It's the Lord who put them into this impossible situation. Now, as we let that sink in, let me just ask in terms of our own wondering about that, how does that make you feel that sometimes God, allow, God puts his followers into what feel like impossible situations? I mean, we can think about that academically, like, oh, okay. Or we can think about, man, I'm facing this thing, and man, God's behind that? Now, real quick, pastoral sidebar, are not everything that we find ourselves into is God's doing. Sometimes we just make stupid mistakes, and that's why we're in impossible situations. But God's sovereign over those, is he not? But sometimes he's actually setting us up. Have you heard uh, this Christian uh, goodism, uh, we can call it, that uh, God will never give you more than you can handle? Have you heard that before? Is that true? I think this text actually affirms that, but also brings it into clarity. Depends what you mean. Um, there's a place in 1 Corinthians 8, it says, uh, um, no temptation, actually that word is test, same word for test, no test has overtaken you that that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted or tested beyond your ability. Um, now, if that's to say that uh, you will always be able to work yourself out of the impossible situation in your own strength, then the answer is no. He's not going to put you in places where you can't handle because you can't handle everything. And we actually see that affirmed here in the text. 
ain't nothing the Israelites could do with their backup get the Red Sea to get themselves out of the situation. In fact, they're probably failing the test, if anything, because they go up to Moses. Uh, this is in verses 11 and 12. I'll go ahead and read them since, since I didn't go before. They said, they said to Moses, was it because we, there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out of the desert to die? What have you done to bring us, bring us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, this is like a big I told you so, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Let's be clear. They're mad at Moses, but they're really mad at God. And so, in other words, they're in this impossible situation, and they're failing that test. God set them up. They're failing. Here's another interesting thought. If you guys have your Bibles, this won't be up there. Actually, I think it will be. Uh, Gen- uh, uh, Exodus 13. This is right when they set out. Listen to this in contrast with what we just, just read ourselves. Uh, when they first set out, when, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. Remember those guys who just attacked everything in Breeze? Though that was shorter, he did not lead them there. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. How do you make sense of that? God's like, okay, this impossible situation, that's not going to work. Let's put them in this impossible situation. Right? You You see that? What's going on there? Why are they in this Red Sea impossible situation, not the Philistine wrong situation? He tells us, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Here's what God is doing in this impossible situation. He's setting them up that he would deliver them from slavery and the bondage of all of that and wait for it in a way that they can't mess it up. Because if they had faced the Philistines, what would they have done? They would have quit. The Red Sea part, they didn't even have the opportunity to quit. And that was God's grace to them. Do you see that in the text? That was God's grace. He wanted to deliver them into something even better, but they had to go through this impossible situation even just to get around their own feelings. They would have been back in Egypt. God wanted to send them into wonderful things. Doesn't that help in some senses us make sense of the things that we face Understanding that God might even actually have brought it about, or he's at least in charge of it all and understanding it of all, is oftentimes what he wants to do in this seemingly impossible situation is move us into a better place. He wants to work in our own lives, grow us spiritually through this thing that's just been so hard. How is this going to work? Or in that relationship that we'd rather just abandon altogether and not deal with. He wants to redeem that. He wants to redeem, do something in our lives or do something in their lives whether people are accepted or not, just he's doing something beautiful. He's calling, and that's what he's doing. He uses things that even despite ourselves. Now, it seems to me that the application of this is quite the opposite of what the Israelites were doing. The Israelites, uh, if they had the chance, they would have gone back. They're saying this in the Red Sea. We would like to go back. How do we do that? You can't. Moses is like, that bridge has been crossed. We can't go back. And so how, how, how is this an application point for us? I, I, I believe it is an application point in this sense. In the impossible, God wants us to take a step forward. Even though it's impossible, just to do this. Take a step forward. Not go backwards. Take a step forward. There's this incredibly helpful metaphor in the scriptures. Uh, the psalmist David, King David, a uh, warrior king, thousand years before Christ, uh, wrote all these beautiful uh, songs of poetry and he, 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 he makes this one claim that's so interesting when you understand what's going on underneath it. He, he, he constantly makes a claim, God, you are my shield. God, you are my shield. 
Now, when I used to read that, I used to think, you know, Captain America, Wonder Woman, shield. Okay, you got your thing right here. You got your sword. You block a blow. You make a strike and so forth. But actually, there's two types of shields referenced in the Bible. And in this sense, when, when David is claiming, you are my shield, God, it is not that shield. It is actually another shield, a shield that was used in those ancient cultures to besiege a fortress. So these fortresses, you guys understand ancient warfare, were these things where you just, the, the defender had the, the, the upper hand. You just would hide behind these big walls. You'd sling down your arrows. You'd throw big old rocks. You guys have seen Lord of the Rings and all that. You'd throw like hot liquid, whatever you could do to just jack up these guys who were coming at you. And so they made these shields that what they had was they were, they were full body protection with little slits in the arrows. And what they do, they not only protect your front, they protect your side. Because, you know, as you're trying to climb the wall and ascend all that sort of thing, they're going to, you know, you don't want to get, you're vulnerable here. So they, they protect you. The one place the shields did not protect, right in the back. So that when, if they were to run, the minute they turned around, they became vulnerable. I think... That's such, when, when David claims, you are my shield, that's what he's saying. You just got to take steps forward in God. Now, real quickly, does the, does the metaphor say, mean that if we hightail it backwards, we can't follow, we're, we, just, we don't have the faith for it, that we're going to fall out with God? No, I think that's where the metaphor breaks down and God's grace overcomes. He's gracious even there. But I think the point is, in this shield sense, and in this text we see here, is God just says, just keep coming forward. And by the way, look at how God responds. He's like, dude, why are you guys crying out to me? Verse 15. Tell the Israelites to move on. Which is interesting perspective. We get scared, which that makes sense. I could put myself in Israelite shoes all day. But from God's perspective, he's like, I'm delivering you from slavery into the promised land. And so I think the the application here is just to move forward as best we can, even into the impossible. The Red Sea, my goodness, that's an impossible thing, just to take a step forward. That was the plan behind uh, this impossible situation. Uh, we also see the purpose, or purposes, for this impossible situation. So it says, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, verse 4, and I will uh, harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And then skipping down to verse 31, uh, this is right after the Red Sea is parted. It says, and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses' his servant. So there's two purposes, there's two reasons for this impossible situation. Number one, he says, for, so that I can gain glory for myself. That's the more important of the two, but we're going to be thinking about that actually in two weeks. So I'm going to keep moving, actually, so stay tuned. Come back, two weeks. The second of the two is, he said, so that they would put their fear and trust in the Lord. It's fascinating to me, if you read through the Old Testament, which I hope this series makes us want to read through the Old Testament more, but when we're just doing high level, right? Um, if you want to get on a plan to help you get through, I need plans to get through. Anyways, I, I'd, I'd love to talk to you. But you know what's amazing is when you read through the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, life of Jesus and the early church, you see the Red Sea moment, the Red Sea miracle is talked about a ton. It is talked about a lot. This is a huge forming of a, of a nation moment. And whenever it's talked about, almost exclusively when it's talked about, it is always with the sense of, and do you remember when God parted the Red Sea? Isaiah, when he stretched out his mighty hands and divided the waters, 
David. He used his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea. Do you remember when he did that? He's going to take care of you now. You can trust him with whatever you're going through. I think sometimes God puts us in uh, impossible situations because, you know what, he wants us to understand that, first of all, he's the only one who can provide for us uh, at the end of the day, even when we tend to think that it's not that way on a normal basis, but it is. Um, But I think he also wants to give us Red Sea moments. He wants to give us Red Sea moments of our own, that we can have spiritual markers where we, that we can always look back to as, man, God took care of me then, he's going to take care of me now. Um, and I want, if you're a follower of God, I, this is a great exercise. Just take some time later today and just kind of write down, what are some Red Sea moments that you might have that he's given you? They weren't fun at the time, but they, he brought you through it. Uh, Cindy and I have a few. Uh, one, which a, a few of you know about, is, is right after we were married, about a year after we were married, uh, we'd been having conversations, which you do when you're married, and we realized that we both had sensed at some time before we met each other, before we started dating, that uh, God was maybe going to have us live in China for some period of time. And when we started talking about that, we were like, oh, shoot, we should probably think about that. You had that thought, too. I had that thought. And what was scary about that is we had great community where we were living. We had great careers in all that sense. And the best part was we had the known before us. <laughs> you know, the clarity of what is happening in our lives and, and, and consistency and all that. And so I, I, but I remember the day we, we took a yellow pad of paper and we went out, uh, and this is in the East Bay in Emeryville, looking out over the Golden Gate Bridge, which, man, isn't it awesome living in the Bay Area? Anyways, we were out there and we were just walking along the water and uh, we took this yellow pad of paper and we, we drew a line down. And on the left side, we wrote all the reasons for why we should go and all of the reasons on the right side of why we should not and let me summarize all the reasons on the left side. It was like, yeah, it seems like God might be in this. Let me summarize the reasons for all on the right side where, ah, we can't do this. This is scary. And so we started to like say, you know what? We got we to gotta, we gotta do this. We got we to gotta take a step forward. And we did so very reluctantly, very reluctantly. But we saw God move forward. Some of you guys know our story. We spent time in China. It was actually really hard living over there a lot of the time. But we... Here's why I tell the story. It's not like, hey, we're wonderful. Like I said, we did it reluctantly, and God showed up. But we have an opportunity of seeing him provide, you know, friends being in the place where we happen to live, taking care of us, getting us set up in a culture where I didn't speak, you know, you, the you, language and all that. and all. Um, my favorite part of the story, a lot of you guys know this part because I love telling it. It's like three months after we, we told our employers that we're quitting, uh, Cindy, who was working for Gap at the time, initially responded with, why would you go to China for, quote, your husband's work? And then three months later, after the, you know, that response, they said, actually, we want to help. Can you help us start a part of uh, China, uh, Gap's business in China? And we're like, what? And it was exactly in the area and in the field that we want. It was just like nuts. Now, does it always work out? The, it, it does always work out in the sense of God moves and provides. And when he does... It gives you a little spiritual marker to point from. This is why I shared that whole story. There's been any number of times since then that Cindy and I have been like, well, I guess he did that. I'm serious. We're just like, what do we do? Why? He did that. Are there things in your life that you can point to? Here's the awesome thing about this story, though. Even if you can't you scratch your mind you don't have that even if you're not a person of faith right now in this moment we all have the best of spiritual markers for us even better than the actual red sea parting and that is we see now the power 
to face any impossible situation. So the Israelites come up, and they're grumbling, they're bickering. They're like, man, we liked our, our slavery, which is kind of weird. But Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. I'm not one to underline a lot of verses in the Bible. I like my text, you know, clean and uncluttered. And um, I've underlined this verse years ago. Um, I was studying for the hardest test in my life. Uh, it was, I was in seminary at the time, but it was for my ordination council, which basically is, you know, I had 30, like, uh, pastors, church leaders just grilling me on every, you know, topic. And so I was just studying, like, studying like crazy. One of the things I remember doing in that, like, study phase um, was, um, yeah, a lot of caffeine involved in that, um, was uh, wanting to have a verse from each of the books of the Bible to kind of summarize that book of the Bible. I just thought that would, that would be helpful. Um, I got to this verse, which is why I tell this story. And uh, I realized, oh my goodness, this doesn't just summarize the book of Exodus. This summarizes the whole Bible. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And here's the best part. You need only to stand still. You could take a step forward, and that's the application. That's good. It's an invitation. But really, you, don't need, you just stand still. That's the good news of Jesus. That is the gospel of Jesus. Uh, those of you guys who were here when we went through the book of Mark and we were looking at Jesus' life, um, there was this one, this is really cryptic story that was really fun to kind of go through. A really cryptic story where Jesus takes up three of his main dudes, Peter, uh, John, uh, James and John, uh, up on the mountain, and he's transfigured. Remember that word? It's like he shows his glory. He kind of like pulls back the veil, amps up the level of intensity, and his just glory shines. But let me, let me read this for you. Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. That word in their departure is the exact same word for Exodus. Get this picture. Jesus is on the mountainside showing his glory, talking to Elijah and Moses about his, Jesus' exodus, his greater Exodus, his greater Red Sea moment. Because what we see here is Moses eventually, God says, uh, you know, stretch out your hand. And so verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea. So Moses got to be a part of it, but the Lord did the driving back of the sea. Through Moses, God made a way to dry land by stretching out his hand. But the gospel is through Jesus stretching out his hands on the cross, he made a way back to God. He divided great, the greatest Red Sea, the, the, the barrier, the impossible barrier between us and God. That is the gospel, and you need only be still. He fights for you. The good news of Jesus is to all those who receive him, to those who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Be a better person. Say your prayers. Go to church every, 
receive what he has done. Just He's made the way to God available. And don't you see that with that Red Sea of a moment that we each can have, we each can receive, we can face any Red Sea in this life. We can face any impossible situation in this life. There's no impossible situation that is greater than that. I mean, to really impress this home, let's take the, the big Red Sea that we're all going to face, unless the Lord Jesus comes back soon, which that would be awesome, death. That's a Red Sea. That's an impossible situation. And yet, because of Jesus making the way back to him possible, eternal life in his name for what he's done for us, nothing we could do to earn it ourselves, but receive it for what he did on the cross, forgiving our sins, even death itself becomes a passage back to God the Father. It's a new beginning. And we're going to talk about that more over the next few weeks. But any Red Sea, we can just preach to our heart. You know, if God has done that, if he has given us even his son to do the impossible for us, it kind of puts in perspective what Red Seas we're facing now, here and now, does it not? Uh, you know, as we're wrapping up here, I, you know, I, God is so gracious. God is so gracious. And as I started with, I just really feel like the more I read these stories, man, I am, I'm the Israelites. I'm the Israelites more often than I would like to be. I'm the Israelites. I, it's really hard. I leave my Egypts very reluctantly. Unsure if I can trust God. And yet he's gracious. And I think what we see here is an invitation into that. God extends his hand. He says, look, take a step toward me. Take a step with me. And the question for us is, will we? Let's pray. Father, thank you that we as your church, we, those who have put our faith in you, we have a greater Red Sea to reflect on than even the, the, this ancient text has. His mighty hand, he stretched out, he divided the seas, he rebuked the seas. God, you divided the sea, you divided the great barrier where there was no way, you made a way back to yourself through Jesus' death and resurrection, and we thank you. Father, forgive us that when we face uh, life's impossible situations, the, our little Red Seas, that we, we tend to react like the Israelites, get upset, maybe even angry. And yet, even there, all we have to do really is just kind of watch you do your thing. And yet, Lord, would you help us take steps with you, take steps towards you? Uh, it's hard. I mean, sometimes making these it's hard. Um, but with you it's always good and so we love you Father as we, we take communion now and we remember Jesus' death and resurrection by, by taking communion uh, would, your, would, your, would, would you pour out your blessing upon us Lord where we've sinned uh, would you just help us just reflect on that confess it to you, hand it over to you um, communion is also of course a time to reflect on the body of believers around us here and now Lord thank you for the folks in current who have become like not just friends, family to us. And of course, uh, you know, in communion, it's not just here in this room at this time. It's also the other churches in the area who have, who have received you uh, in Jesus' name. Thank you for the body of believers in the Bay Area and across the world. Um, and then, Father, of course, uh, in communion, we just, we just eagerly anticipate uh, your coming again. Uh, and, we, and we join the churches 
in their prayer throughout the ages, saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We invite you at this time. Pray in Jesus' name.